thing. Uh, I, uh, it, it was just an amazing time. And uh, what was so beautiful about that time was Sammy did not touch again to take his rod out to walk on that aspect. But we also spent some time just waiting on the presence of God. And I believe that, that kind of every, uh, I'm just sure I am, but that there is something um, amazing that, that, that takes place when we wait upon God. When we kind of deliberately set time aside, there's no agenda, there's no kind of uh, a pre-made plan, no kind of motive, but simply wait upon God. And what is amazing is that when we do that, whether we do it individually in our own devotion time, whether we do it in our family or small groups or, or us as a church, God always shows up. God always shows up. There's not this sense that we have to sort of plead with Him or twist His arm or manipulate Him or try and, you know, convince Him. But He does it because He loves the intimacy. He loves journeying with His children. And so what I thought we would do tonight is to spend a little bit of time kind of looking at Scripture about what does it mean to be deeper, to seek the presence of God. What does it mean to kind of hunger and thirst to have those manifest um, encounters? Because I believe that this is a gift, this is a, a, a blessing that He wants to pour out on us. And I think the reason that we have this desire, I think the reason why we kind of, it, it just so naturally resonates with us, is because we're actually hardwired to be that way. There's something in our DNA of what it is to be human that means that we seek God's presence. And it makes sense if you look at the story of Scripture, if you look at from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, it starts with humanity dwelling in the presence of God, and it ends with humanity dwelling in the presence of God. And the in-between books and chapters tell the story about how us as sinful humanity, when we chose to break with our when we chose to rebel against God and His presence, and it wasn't God that left us, but it was us who removed ourselves from God's presence. And to be honest, the story could have been over there. God simply could have said, well, you've, you've made that choice. Fine. You live with the consequences. But the story of Scripture is of this God who radically pursues His who radically draw, uh, kind of hungers and thirsts to draw humanity back into his presence. And this isn't just lip service. This isn't just a kind of a nice, like, oh, it would be nice if humanity would come back. But there is such a power being so deeply in the presence of God that the fact that it cost him his son Jesus to die on the cross to make that possible. He willingly chose that. And so I think that should show us how much, not only as us as humanity, do we desire to be in the presence of God, but how much God desires to visit us, how much God desires to manifest around us. I think one of the people in Scripture that we see who kind of embraces this desire so beautifully was King David. And King David is, is this wonderful character because there are so many amazing things about him. There are so many things that we kind of look and we kind of go, this is who I want to be. These are the things that I want to pursue in my life. And then there are other things that he's just spectacularly done. He spectacularly messes up. 
And what it does is it allows us to kind of resonate with him, to kind of see that our story overlaps. How fundamental at the end of the day is David, who did, who did everything that we know that he did, was still able to be called a man after God's own heart. Then that should give us hope. Then that should give us an encouragement that no matter what we've done, we are not so far beyond the love and grace and forgiveness of God. That no matter what we've messed up in our life, it doesn't mean that God's going to go, well, no, you're leave it to my presence. As long as you seek me, as long as you have that same hunger and thirst that David had, I will come and meet you. Now, before we get stuck into this, I just want to make a, a sort of a theological point, a theological clarification, because I think it's important. In Scripture, I think we see two different um, realities or experiences of God's presence. The first one is the um, is the uh, sense of the idea that in that moment of salvation, God uh, sends His holy His Holy Spirit to live among us. Uh, uh, Paul, writing in Ephesians two, puts it like this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. And so Paul kind of is saying that in that moment of salvation, that what happens is that part of the transformation that takes place is that we become the embodiment of what the Old, Te- uh, the Old Testament temple was. The Old Testament temple was the place where God's Spirit tangibly dwelled. And he's saying that in salvation, you are being um, changed and transformed into the temple so that my Spirit can dwell within you. Paul talks later on, he says that um, in that moment of salvation, that you were given the Holy Spirit as a, as a deposit, as a seal of your salvation, as something to kind of tangibly hold on to and say, I know that I am saved. I know that I'm forgiven. I know that I've experienced the grace of God. And that one day, when my sanctification has been complete, when I'm fully transformed into what God has for me, I know that this is true because I have the Holy Spirit. It is a deposit. It is a guarantee. It is something that we can hold on to and keep coming back to again and again and again. And what is important about this is that no matter where we go, no matter what happens, we cannot lose that indwelling of God in our lives. Now, if we're honest, there are moments in our life where we feel that presence of God. We, we feel that there's a natural flow and rhythm and we're just kind of, we're just walking in step and in tune with the Spirit. But there are also moments of our lives where God feels so far away. But whether we feel He's close or far, that God's Spirit, God's presence inside of us never that is a constant, that is a consistent thing that is common of all believers. But yet we also see in Scripture, and we can also testify in our own experience, in our own testimony, that there are these moments where we encounter the manifest presence of God. There are these moments where always there's something uh, external to us that is taking place, that we are that we are stepping into, that we are walking into. In the Old Testament, as I said, this was kind of represented uh, through cloud and fire. And these 
God's tangible manifest presence lived in the middle of the tabernacle. It lived in the Holy of Holies. And we think about our own presence. We think about presence worship. We think about times of divine encounter. We think times in our own prayer life where we just feel the presence of God. We just we have a, a tangible experience of God manifest in the midst of us. I remember a couple of weeks ago when I was preaching on the kingdom of God and I talked about that there is this um, this, this paradox in the kingdom that the kingdom is called something called we can know. That there are tangible truth, or sorry, not tangible, there are specific truths, there are divine truths about the kingdom of God that resonate in our minds. But there's also this tangible element, this element where we're called to taste and see, we're called to touch and hear and experience the kingdom. And so the kingdom is both something that we know in our minds, but it's also something that we experience day in and day out. And I believe this is the manifest presence of God. And the whole point of God manifesting his presence is that it, it, it awakens an awareness of hope. It, it causes us to have those moments of just awe and wonder where suddenly we know I'm gazing upon the beauty of God. I'm gazing upon the God of the universe. We, we are Psalm 27 is, a, is a, an amazing example of this. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to, to Psalm 27. I'll get to this bit. I can open this book. I just feel like I need to share this. Holy Spirit, will you just welcome you in this place? We know that you have already been here, Lord. But I pray, Lord, as we just wrestle with this word, that you Though an army encamps against me, 
they won't arrive at the conclusion. Yes, the world is hot. And so David starts this psalm, and it's it to be a psalm of seeking after the presence of God. He starts it in worship. He starts it in celebrating who God is. And he declares these two simple truths, that God is his light and that God is his salvation. And these two foundational truths underpin everything that David is going to say. Uh, uh, so everything that David is going to say, everything that David is going to kind of expand upon. And as we read a little bit later, we realize that while we don't know the specific context of the psalm, we can't connect it to a specific moment of David's life, he's clearly in a moment of great pain. He's clearly in a moment of great struggle when his enemies are rising up against him, where, where he's struggling to kind of know what to do next. He's struggling to know uh, kind of uh, how to respond. And yet even in the middle of this despair, even in the middle of this difficult situation, he starts by saying that God is my light and God is my salvation. And I think it is this beautiful picture that David has that in the darkest moment, in the moment where if you were to look at it from a human point of view, you would go, everything's cut out. He's lost it. But he knows that in this moment, in this darkness, the light of God and what's so beautiful about David is that as he's processing these moments, as he's processing these events in his life, that he doesn't see them from a human perspective, but he sees them from the perspective of God. And so in the middle of that darkness, he's able to say, God, you are my light. And then he moves on and he says, not only that, God, not only are you the light in the darkness, but you're also my salvation. And the word salvation in the Hebrew could also um, be translated as deliverance. And I think he means kind of both here, that there are actual moments that we see in the life of David where God delivered him from his enemies, where God delivered him from death or danger, where God intervened and made a way supernaturally for him. But there's also this confidence in David that, that when he declares that you are my deliverance, that you are my salvation, then it's not just a past tense, you know, it's not just you've broken into the situation, but I will continue to trust in you for eternity, that you will be my deliverance, that you will be my salvation. And so he worships. He worships God with these truths. He worships who Because I think there's a couple of really um, powerful things that happen in worship. I think what happens in worship that fundamentally is that there's this, this realignment that takes place. There's this realizing that has to be less of me and more of you, God. I love how John the Baptist says it when he, when he talks about Jesus. He says, he must suffer, but I must be satisfied. 
And this is the fundamental part, the fundamental rhythm of, of worship, is that in worship, in your presence, Lord, I want less of me and I want more of you. I want to be humbled, Lord. Not, not put myself down. I, I, want, I want to be humbled because you are so grand. You are so awesome that you alone deserve the worst and the heaviness. You see, I think it was David's humility that allowed him in those dark moments to be able to say, God, you are my light and my salvation. Because he knew, and this brings on to the next thing, he says, Lord, you are my stronghold. And another word for stronghold in, in Hebrew is the word strength. Because he knows that you, God, are my strength. That you are the only one who can do this. And you know what? If you have an ego, if you have an attitude, if you're, if you're kind of focused on how great you are, you're not going to recognize that it's God alone who can deliver. But in that moment of humility, in that moment almost of despair, that moment of going, God, I can do nothing. Because I know that you can do this in my life. I know that you can be my strength. I know that you can be my deliverer.
the same great God. Worship is about leaving ourselves in God's hands. Have you ever wondered why it seems that worship seems to usher in the presence of God? Or why in the temple God clearly commanded that we worship day and night and His presence dwelt Because in worship, we give away everything of ourselves, and we seek to invoke the presence of God. The only way that we can enter into His presence is if we're prepared for our own pride, our own ego, our own name, to fade away. God's not going to fight us. God's not going to battle us. God's in us. One must always pursue God, truly, truly pursue God. And so then David kind of moves on to celebration, to contemplation. He starts contemplating the nature of who God is and the amazingness of God in his presence. And he says that he makes this, this beautiful line. He says, one thing that I will ask of the Lord, that I will seek after him, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What David is saying here, when he talks about the house of the Lord, he's not talking about sort of the future reality of heaven. He's talking about um, uh, about the tabernacle, that place where the, the Ark of the Covenant dwelt and where God's manifest presence. And David is saying that even though that I'm king, even though I have everything I could ever possibly want, I know deep in my soul that my one true desire is to rest in His presence, to sit in the house of God. We've uh, spent a lot of time in the last year talking about the tabernacle, the temple. It seems to be one of these themes that keeps coming back up again and again and again. And you may remember that when we talked about it, we talked that there are these kind of um, different areas uh, to the tent. Uh, so there was an outer court and then a holy and the holy of holies, which was right in the very center of the place where God dwelt. And right in the center, only the high priest could go once a year. And when he went in, he had to have a rope tied around his foot because uh, in case that he had unconfessed sin or unresolved problem and he would be struck down dead, he would have to drag his body out. That was kind of the awesome power of God's presence. And David is saying that my desire in life is to sit in the midst of that presence. But David was unable to. Only the high priest could go in once a year. But what is so amazing is that we live on the other side of the cross. We live in the reality that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so where before no one could enter God's presence, now God has swung open the doors and he invites us in. We have a privilege that David could only ever hope for. We have an opportunity that prophet after prophet before in the, in, in the Old Testament that were denied. It is an amazing privilege that we have to enter into his presence. And then he said, David says, I, I love this. He, I, I want to be in your presence. I want to dwell in the cover of your wings. What do we do in the presence of God's presence? We gaze upon the beauty of Jesus. 
up that picture. And, and I think what's so beautiful is sometimes we know that there's no slogan. There's no kind of frantic technology that has got this desire of our hearts to wait, to gaze on the beauty of God. And so then David starts kind of reaffirming the commitment. He says, you took the key thing and you took the God of me first. And there's this deep, beautiful relationship that you see there. Verse 5, for he will hide me in his shelter on the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his hand. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above the enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shout of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. And the reason why is that neither of these are from God. Yet so many of us, our lives are ruled by fear of God and shame of our past. David had much to face. He had many, many enemies around him. He also, in a very human way, had much to be ashamed of. Murder. David doesn't allow his fear and shame to stop him from entering in to God's home. And that's why I love that he, he, he says that, God, I know that you will lift me upon a rock, that you will, that you will take me out of the situation. I do not mean to be afraid. And now my head shall be lifted high. I will not have shame. I will not allow shame to rule my life. And one of the things that I think happens Again and again, is that, um, that, that, that when we fear that, uh, when we have that fear and when we have that shame, when we're when we're kind of presented with that sin, we we choose to remove ourselves from God's presence. But actually, what God is saying is, no, run into my arms, because in my presence, healing takes place. In my presence, restoration takes place. In my presence, I can deal with that fear and that shame and that sin and that brokenness. But for as long as you kind of avoid my presence, then you will be trying to deal with it in your own strength. I love, I love that when we enter his presence, that we're healed. I believe that Christians are the most restored. I believe that it's a complete restoration David cries out and he says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. I love this idea that, that almost um, David is struggling to find the presence of God. And so what does he do? He reminds God of this promise. He, he declares the truth that, that, that God, you have told me to seek your face. And he says, This is what I'm doing. And there'll be some of us that when we struggle in these moments, when we feel that God is not seeking, that God is not meeting us, 
So what we do is we, we, we turn around and we get angry and, and we get frustrated and we give up. But actually, more than anything, these are the times that we need to press in to the presence of God. This is when we need to trust the nature of who God is. I heard it said, and I, I love this, that if you look in the Old Testament, God shouts at his enemies, but he whispers to his friends. And I think the reason that he does this is that he wants this intimacy. He wants to, in a, in a, another way, to, to kind of feel us, to get so close to him that we feel his breath and his power. And so sometimes God will do that a little bit to us because he's wanting us to draw closer to him. He's wanting us to be intimate in that moment. He's wanting us to have that most deep revelation of who he is. Take not your hatred. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on the level path because of my enemies. Give me not to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe violence. In this moment of, of, of deep intimacy, of, of contending for the presence of the Lord, I love that David says he's praying, Troublefree life, or for the situation to be taken away, but he's simply saying, "God, just, just stabilize me, stable this, stabilize this path. Help me walk the path that you have laid out for me." I believe in the presence of God that there is a there's a strengthening that takes place that allows us to receive His presence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord.
Let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. Would you like to stand up? I love the fact that God gives us, uh, sorry, David um, gives us the command to wait. We're not very good at waiting. We're terrible at waiting. Awful. But yet there seems to be a Invite your spirit in. 